Hello, DrillerCast family. Yes, Brock and Dave will have new episodes soon. However, in the interim, I'd like to introduce you to the Driller Newscast, brought to you by thedriller.com. Yes, the magazine. Every Monday morning at 6 a.m., the Driller Newscast releases new episodes featuring industry content on safety, the latest news, and feature stories or featured industry professionals. What you're listening to now is a replay of past episodes. If you'd like to listen to fresh episodes as they drop, you can find them at driller.com every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Thanks for listening, and please like and share this podcast. Welcome to Driller's Cast, the podcast about drilling. We're going to have discussions and debates and talk about why we should be innovating. This is the podcast to help promote the drilling industry. We'll be covering water well, geothermal, cathodic, HDD, mining, construction. If it puts a hole in the ground, we want to have a discussion about it. Good morning. Welcome to Driller Cast Live with Brock and Dave Bowers. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing wonderfully, Brock. Uh, after a little snafu on, you know, uh, a little time zone snafu, we're we're up and running. Uh, you know, we're we're getting the rust knocked off. We are. You know, it's it's tough because I every weekend I'm like, Dave, Dave, stop filming the news. And all of these things, and could you just come back and do some driller cast stuff? And you're like, Brock, I I have this podcast network to run, and I have these trainings to do and stuff, and I just don't have time for this stuff. Well, you know, it that's a pretty accurate statement, except that I, I invite anyone who's hearing this to search for any other podcast featuring me and any other podcast featuring you, because somebody you know, has decided that uh, the newscast uh, is something that he wanted to do. And uh, it takes up a lot of time in the middle of the night. And Dave, Dave is not coming on in the middle of the night. It's just not going to happen. It takes up a lot of time in the middle now of the we're night. Oh, I'm really loud. I'm loud. And you're oh, loud. no. We're, we're going down the rabbit hole. I've been down the rabbit hole before. Let's get out of that. Uh, yes, um, we are 28 weeks into the newscast now, and um, 178. How many weeks, how many weeks has it been since we did Drillercast? Six months. It's got to be hmm. close to six months. I can uh, I can check that fact for you. But a lot has gone on, and we're back on the platform. And there's there's a lot to be talked about right now. And uh, I join I um I invite anybody who is listening right now live to message something on the page or text me. Um and we can talk about that stuff as well. But wow, 
there is a ton of money in the industry right now from the Inflation Reduction Act, the or law, the federal infrastructure law. Uh, $600 million was just released for abandoning orphan wells. And uh, that's that's a big chunk with um, quite a bit of money for Illinois, uh, quite a bit of money for the Great Lakes states. I know Michigan got $25 million, which roughly breaks down to about 60 grand per orphan well that can be abandoned right now. Uh, geothermal, lots of incentives in geothermal. And obviously, we're seeing all kinds of goofy things with water. So let's get back to talking drilling. However, before we do, and this is a this is a big topic for you, Dave, because you've talked about it a lot. You know, this week for the construction industry, we're wrapping up, you know, Suicide Prevention Week. This is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month for the month of September. And on Monday morning, when the newscasts drop, I talk about some of those statistics, but it's 53 individuals in the construction industry per 100,000 workers who succumb to suicide every year in the construction, which is the second highest for all suicide statistics. And our number one killer? Yeah, it's uh, the construction industry. It's, it's running rampant along with, and they run hand in hand, uh, opioid addiction. Right. And they, they really do run in hand in hand. And, and we're also second in, in that uh, uh, with only nurses uh, above us in opioid addiction. You know, and the, I think the only reason that the nurses are beating out construction workers is they have direct access and, and, and we may not have. But uh Especially when you look at the current environment and the struggles, and, and I'll boil it, boil it down just to, to, to what we're looking at now, what pressures are being put on people that are still in the industry where there's a lot of places and a lot of companies struggling to get uh, new employees? Right. Whether it be that, you know, they they're not the the incentive package isn't right compared to somebody else or uh, people, you know, don't want to do the dirty work or whatever it might be. I'll leave that alone. But now the people who are left there, there's a lot of pressure being put on them. And when that happens, the likelihood of things going wrong in their life, not just in their their profession. Right. Uh, we deal with a lot of aches and pains. And then, you know, uh, you wind up with somebody who's prescribed something for aches and pains. And then you look six months, eight months down the road when that prescription should have run out. And now they're still taking something, but it's not for the aches and pains anymore or worse yet. You know, we're away from home, aches and pains, then that that starts to lead to, to relationship problems or we've went, you know, all of those things combined to make uh, thing, uh, a culture that winds up leading to. And then 
just the bravado of the construction industry where you don't talk about these things. Uh, and if you were to talk to another, you know, the, the feeling for a lot of people is if you were to talk to another coworker or something, they're, they're not going to uh, respond in a positive way to the way you're feeling. Although reality is probably they, they feel and understand the same things. Uh, but, you know, we're trying to be macho all the time. I know you are, Brock. You're very macho. You know, uh, yes. And to bring that back down, um, obviously, after my father passing, which was, you know, just been over a year, um, I I went in a dark place. And, you know, I took took a quite a bit of time and um, didn't talk. And um, we do need to talk. We do need to be a better industry of communicating and understanding that we have a lot going on and um you know there's the new suicide prevention number that 988 you know that you can text you can call you can chat um osha everybody this year has put a big push on you know this month in awareness but i think for us, and I'll tell you what, uh, one of the mechanics for Labe that went to Afghanistan and then came back and was a driller ended up, you know, taking his own life, you know, not from PTSD, but just from things happening in general that uh, became too much. And uh, I think the big piece of it is, is there are people out there that love you and care about you and they, they need to hear from you and you can ask for help. And those are the things that we need to think about. And, um, unlike drilling where we, we use our gut and we go at it alone often, you know, we don't have to on this. Well, I, I have, a. um, a gentleman I'm working with right now who is displaying some, not maybe towards suicide, but some issues that, that uh, are related to PTSD. And that, that's another factor in this in that, you know, uh, we're in the last 10, 15 years now dealing with entry level young workers coming in, who've seen and been involved with a lot of things that uh, unless you are a Vietnam vet or uh, something like that, maybe you can't relate directly to uh, a gentleman that, that worked for me that, that I'm still in touch with right now, you know, uh, had uh, a number of tours. I, I believe it was two tours in Afghanistan and a tour in Iraq. And uh, while he was still working with me and I know he still struggles with, you know, going to going to counseling and still has some some effects left over. And he was uh, he was a CB on uh, like construction. Logistics is where he was for the last two tours. So for the most part, he wasn't directly involved in fighting yet he still came because 
he was sending the people who were out to go do repairs and this and that. And, and a good friend of his uh, wound up. Uh, they swept the whole a hole for mines after an IUD explodes. They swept it. It came up clean. He jumped in there to start working on repairing the road. And there was a second uh, explosive device that someone set off that didn't somehow uh, register on the sweep. And uh, it killed him. And, you know, he had to hear the calls off the radio knowing that it was a crew of his he had sent out there. And so that that leads to some some long lasting effects. And that's only the one I can think of that I know off the top of my head. I'm sure there's a bunch of other things no, that, that happened that he hasn't mentioned. It's um I'm happy that you you brought this uh back to the veterans because this is the you know if we talk with Jake or uh when I was out working with the Red Horses there was a lieutenant that was wearing uh, a specialized helmet because he had attempted to take his life and uh, they were rehabilitating him. And um, we talk a lot about we need to hire veterans. We need to hire as many veterans because let's face it, the the drilling industry is built on men uh, – it's only 6%, you know, somewhere between four and 6% women in the construction industry, but the drilling industry is a lot of Korean and Vietnam vets. And before that, it was, you know, the greatest generation veterans that came back, built or bought drill rigs and started a drilling company. My father came back from Vietnam, spent 11 months in the Great Lakes Naval Hospital rehabilitating after being blown up in Vietnam and uh, eventually ended up working for a drilling company and then buying his own equipment. Why I say this is we talk a lot about, we need to get as many, you know, helmets to hard hats as possible. But what we call right now, the Gulf war era two veterans, which Afghanistan 20 plus years, we have parents and children fighting and there's stories now of them being there at the same time, but 65% of our veterans from the second Iraq and Afghanistan war have some sort of disability. And there's a stigma again, just like the construction industry where we say uh, they just want to get paid. They came back and they went to the VA and the VA just, uh, said, how many percent disabled do you want to be? And I'll tell you what, um, my father came back, got blown up, and the VA, along with every chairman or head that comes in every two to three years after the last one gets yanked out for just tragic failing, um, they don't just give out. And it's very hard to get things documented, and that's why we have so many good men and women that are not getting the treatment they need. And whatnot. But as we hire veterans and whatnot, we need to think about the fact that 65% of them have either PTSD, a traumatic head injury, or something else that's happened. And where did these head injuries or where did this new thing come from? We built MRAPs and we built equipment that was IED resistant, but that wasn't shockwave. And so we have plenty of good men and women out there that have 
you know, the same concussion stuff that we're seeing with the NFL without the the light on it. And then this leads right into substance abuse and, you know, depression and not getting the right help and whatnot. And we can do better. And I think the great thing about the drilling industry is many of our companies are small, you know, Dom Durbin messaged and we'll get back to talking about abandoning wells in a minute, you know, and then Tom Howe, jumped right up on the Facebook uh, to say, hey, thanks for talking about this. So, you know, you think about those two individuals and their impact they have on the drilling industry. And unlike going to work for a a massive construction company where you, you show up to a job site and there's 900 people on site or whatever, you know, we at least get to look our people in the eyes, you know, or we get to have direct interaction with them. And that's, that's one way we can do better. Well, I think we have to realize uh, when we hire a veteran, we're hiring their past. And, uh, you know, I think the easiest way to do that is, you know, you, you're going to interview them, talk to them, this or that, maybe start looking into, the problems that are currently going on with veterans luckily maybe you get lucky and you don't have to you know not every veteran has the same issues however being prepared or being making sure that you're you're open uh to them so they know that they can have discussions with you uh about the issues that they're having and that you'll be flexible if hey they do have to go to the va or you know around the 4th of July or whatever they're you know they may maybe maybe they have some issues around that period of time because of the because of the fireworks or whatever being open and understanding that stuff uh not just for you if they're entry level making sure whatever driller if it's not you they're working with understands that there's those things that that are going to have to happen you know just those conversations can go a long way in in making sure that two things happen. One, that that person feels that they're not only welcome, but uh, supported. Uh, and, you know, that you'll your crews will will work better because you you have have made the effort. So I that's the way I would uh, suggest someone go about that now. You know, it's easy on a podcast, a little harder in reality. You're right. And that's a full circle as we move on to drilling. I I don't believe we we need a week or a year of aware or not a year, uh, a month of awareness and prevention. I think this is a Monday morning tailgate talk every Monday morning for our industry for the construction industry. And I think this is a no different than the focus four of now it's the focus five, by the way, is because of that suicide, they've added suicide to it. Suicide prevention. So um, since they have, right. If especially bringing somebody in, making sure they have a current OSHA 10, they're going to get some training, uh, you know, on those things maybe it's not a bad thing to do or in in your most drill companies also have uh 
40-hour Haswopper, maybe include suicide prevention uh, in one of the topics you'd like covered in the in the refresher so that everybody is kind of on the same page and no as few of people as possible get touched by this. I, that's good. And it, you know what? If we're going to open it up to a five and we're not putting excavation and lightning strikes into uh, the next two, you know, I know we can. We're going to have. We're, you know. So you're proposing a focus seven? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll I'll run that up up uh, to the head of ocean. We'll see how that goes. But when I I haven't seen the latest for trench, but you know we were at what are we? Uh, that's that's considered caught in between. I know, but I so think it needs to. If what do you? Right. If you're caught in between is well taught, you will see as much trenching. But you know, ninety percent of my caught in between is trenching. I caught right. in between to me sounds like I'm backing up a truck. I understand what it sounds like, but I'm saying that what you what happens in a cave in is you're caught in between the sidewall. And the thing falling, you're caught in between a falling bucket and a right. They're struck by caught in between, but we do a bunch of caught in between, uh, and we do cover a big part of subpart P, and then we hit subpart P again. So, you know, if you go through, you know, if you go through our, I can't speak for everybody, but you go through an OSHA 10, OSHA 30 that I run, uh, you'll wind up with a huge part of excavation safety and those things. Uh, I have the advantage of also doing, and the 30 being able to do hands-on that we go out, measure trenches, and, uh, you know, are able to see what OSHA, but one of the things that, that my organization does is the OTI comes to us. OSHA Training Institute comes to us, and we do, in a conjunction, in, in association with them, they're, uh, 3015 or 3010, depending on who you ask. Right now, it's in between. They still call it 3010 for the compliance officers. It's 3015 for general the general uh, public. But on their 3010, we teach the compliance officers, uh, along with the instructors from OSHA Safety uh, Training Institute, about trenching and trenching safety we go out dig trenches they see how to measure them we put shoring systems in we uh you know use a trench box and we do everything right and then there's an exercise on the last day that is as if they've showed up at a job site that's not right and there's a lot of different things and then we have different uh instructors that are playing different parts of uh whether you be the foreman or whatever and they're interviewed and they answer the questions and, and do those things so that they they get some hands on and see what's right or wrong. But that's not drilling. So I want to talk about drilling because I haven't talked about drilling apparently in six months that anyone's ever seen. Uh, it's true, but you in in that time, you have definitely filled in six months worth of talk of drilling in our last podcast. So. I'm I don't think kidding. I have. 
Um, I don't think I have. Now, one person that's talked drilling every week uh, is you, but I uh, now the the I don't it it's downloaded onto my podcast. It really is, so I can listen to Brock Yordy in my car on the way to work. But if I have the choice, if I look and I say, "Huh, there's a new comedy bang bang out," or I can listen to Brock. You don't win that most of the time, Brock. So what you need is for the comedy Bang Bang or F1 or something for me to run out of that, and then I listen to the driller cast. Well, I, I know I mean, it hurt your feelings. I know. But you know why? I'll tell you why. Because I like to be entertained, and that's what this podcast is so- about. I, you know what? I think it's because you call me every day as you drive home from work and we talk about all this stuff anyway. So you get the live version. I don't know if I call you every day. I call you on occasion and usually go, hey, are we going to podcast? And you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to do all we have to do is schedule it. Uh, okay. You got to do it. I this say, I say, I say, talk to my people and we'll get this scheduled. Okay. And then you put Bo on. And I talk to your people for five minutes. We talk about, you know, whatever. I think the last time we were talked about ladybug. No, uh, caterpillars. Uh, and then after that, I, 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 you know, I have a short attention span. I forgot what I, what I called about. And you finally put me on with someone with the same intellect that I have. We should, we should talk drilling. You're right. And before we do that, I will say uh, this whole discussion on safety and, suicide prevention we do we need to keep that going at every tailgate meeting uh dave and i will be co-teaching at the ngwa uh on the main floor this year they have uh allowed me somehow to uh talk them into Letting us do a show right there in the uh, on the trade show floor. We will also be participating with Igspa Dave talking safety. Me, uh, me in there to uh, bounce things off of him, and then uh, a couple other Igspa classes as well. And uh, I say this now because it's September 10th, and it's time to get hotel rooms and start thinking about going to that show. And uh, it's going to be a good time. It should be a good time. It's uh, it it is always one of the highlights of the year to to go to the to that show. Uh, I'm not a fan of Vegas, but you know the show itself is good. Uh, I if you know me, I'm too cheap for Vegas. I, I'm like okay, I'm not spending that money to do that. But um, it that show is by far still the the premier show in our industry. Uh, no matter what type of drilling that you're involved in, if you have the opportunity to attend the National Groundwater Expo uh, and, and or, preferably and, uh, the ICSPA, uh conference. I don't know what they're calling the ICSPA conference these days. It's ICSPA. It's, it's just ICSPA? Okay. Yeah, well, it's yeah, it's a, coin, it's a joint conference. Um What's sexy about this joint conference? One, um, everything that's going on in geothermal right now is 
just gangbusters. And I, yesterday afternoon, got to interview Donovan Gordon of NYSERDA, which is New York State's energy, you know, initiative, green energy. And he is the head of, director of clean energy. And we talked about the thermal networks and the money that's going into that. Um, you know, New York wants to drill 2 million residential homes in the next five years, which, um, you know, and I, I see Dom still throwing some posts up on the, the Facebook group. Let's just say each one of those homes is four holes, you know, maybe five, depending on the size. But so you're looking at, you know, 8 million boreholes. And um, if if I am a drilling company that needs to develop drillers right now, and I am in a mobilization distance and I have a rig that works and I, I have a crew that I could put together and it's tough to put that crew on a road and stuff. But if I'm trying to develop a driller and I know I can put them on a residential project or a commercial project with these thermal networks and they can drill the same area for repetition, you know, and, uh, I, there's some big, uh, geothermal companies that have popped up that have different concepts and they keep saying, well, all the geothermal drillers right now, they're all commercial drillers and they know how to show up on a site and do repetition, but they don't, they don't understand how to drill residential. They don't understand that you only have three or four holes and you have to move again. And it's, it's so difficult. And this, I, I keep hearing this. And so those same companies keep switching rigs. Like it's uh chiclets or like they have endless uh, internet money. I may have just thrown a little shade, but I, I think it's time that this is talked about because uh, that's what water well drillers do. They show up and they get water on the first try. Most of the time, Tom was out on a hole with me that we had to drill a couple because of the, the lot restriction. Um, but that repetition is important. And if I'm drilling more than one hole, by the time I end that first hole, I should have a good concept of what I'm going to be encountering. And so if I am a experienced driller and I want to train a new driller, why wouldn't I run that first hole with him or her? you know, maybe me at the, at the stick and then go, okay, we have our notes. We have our plan. Let's execute. By the way, we're not doing a water well, so they're not forgiving if we drag the hoses through the flower garden or, you know, chip the edge of the driveway. They, they're excited to have geothermal energy and HVAC, but it's not like we haven't showered in three days we're really thankful you're here for this water well. Oh, you ruined the the gladiolas. Oh well. Now it's like, hey, we already got heat. Don't mess. Don't mess with uh, my landscaping. We're we're looking to save money, and costing us money and other things is not going to be acceptable. And it's it comes back to uh, a word that you like to to throw around all the time: surgical. Right? You need to be surgical. You need to be clean. So that means a plan for your mud, right? If you're mud, if you're mud drilling, it means if you're air drilling, 
where if you run into groundwater where is it going are you blowing it off into are you know are you using a are you using a a, a top mount swivel uh, a discharge head that you can blow it off into a container uh you know you need to think of those things beforehand which is why it's important uh and i don't know what kind of what kind of incentives is or costs or i i'm not involved in new york but a few jobs not going clean is going to really hurt that company because somebody else is going to come in and do it cleanly. And that and that's the important thing. It may cost a few more dollars, but all it takes is for the end result to be good and you know that it's gonna it's gonna pay dividends. So you want to make sure you've looked at those things. How are we able to get in and get out without disturbing anything without making a mess uh and it can be done it just takes planning and this is one of the things i complain about all the time planning 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 right you uh what what did you say the one time brock there's uh like 17 p's i only use a few of them prior planning prevents piss poor performance right so that's all it is a little bit of planning and to have the right equipment for the formation or the or the method uh, doesn't it won't stop you from from uh, air drilling. Air drilling is going to maybe be the fastest way to go about it. But is there a shallow, uh, you know, water table? Are you going to run those things? Are what we have to be looking at. Uh, yeah, it's I think we all have great intentions and then drilling conditions shift or production changes or something happens and we uh we throw out some of the cleanliness and safety plan to overcome the lack of production and then we start having a mess and um it's it's tough because uh, Ixpa, there will be an abstract by a company that's going to talk about how they have found some uh, international drillers that can come over and drill, you know, full production, a thousand feet a day for very little money. And um, it's going to bring down the cost of geothermal because, again... Big companies have always said the most expensive aspect of geothermal is the drilling. And that's because the rigs and the fuel. And I think it's horseshit because it's not about it. You know, it's it's design so that the firm that is designing the holes or how the holes are being designed is very important to us on the efficiency of what we can do with that drill and how cleanliness the site can be. But that second aspect, back to New York, they passed the Thermal Networks and Jobs Act that is now law that is going to do big commercial geothermal and do those residential homes and have that money. Plus, you know, there's uh, Inflation Reduction Act money for you know, more tax benefits on the federal and state. New York's blazing past everything else we're doing. And 
that jobs act is a big piece because what did they say? They said, these jobs are going to be prevailing wage. These jobs are going to be, you know, we need to entice people. We need to entice the union. We need to get people that want to come do this and do it successfully. And that takes increasing the price. And I'll tell you what, all of us that are investing in equipment, drilling need drilling costs need to come up because we're in a global water crisis and we're seeing it across the country. And our water well drilling companies, we're already making good footage price. Why? For something that is uh, re- insanely rewarding when that water comes out of the ground. It's not... Nine months from now, you go, how's how's that new electric bill? You know, obviously well, we geek out about geothermal, but. All right. But there's a few, there's some things that you, you mentioned here that, that I think have to be addressed. When you talk about bringing the, the drilling cost up, that's great. People hear that and think that they're going, it's going to bring the job cost up. It doesn't have to. It's it and I it's all about training and efficiency. The better our crews are, the more likely we are to even per foot get more footage a day with less issue and wind up uh, you know bringing a job in on schedule. And if the if the bid, we we said we're going to get X amount of footage, and we and we know there's some things that are unknown, and we know the areas. If you know, uh, if Dom Durbin goes to New York, the, sorry Dom, if he goes to New York to drill, he's going to do some research on the geology on the things that that he's going to so that his bids can come in and be competitive. Right. I think we get in trouble where we start to throw out things without completely thinking about them, uh, where, you know, we get into an an environment where, A, we didn't figure that the uh, cost of a project, say it says it's prevailing wage, as long as we know that up front and we can deal with that, if we use uh, and this is where, you know, my sticky point off, it's great, prevailing wage. And you said get the unions involved. Well, having the unions be involved should mean qualified, trained people in the process that we're asking them to do. If we're going to pay prevailing rate, there's there's some upside to that, that you're going to get trained people. I only speak for my program, right? But you're going to get people trained. They understand what they're supposed to do. They understand the efficiency because one of the first things that I tell my apprentices, I explain that, yes, you're going to command a pretty substantial wage package when you can figure all benefits and everything. and, And the company must make money. They have to make money on top of your wage package. And then that Journey worker driller commands a large wage package, and that rig commands, they must make money because if they don't, there's no reason for the union to be involved. 
right? Because I can't, my job as a, as a, a union is to provide work for the members of the union. They, there's no reason for it to exist if we can't make, because our sign, companies that are signatory to us no longer, if they're not profitable, go out of business. Well, what good is that for us? It doesn't do anything for us. So it's, it's very difficult uh, to make this sale sometimes to the companies, but I don't think they, they hear union and they think, well, all they're worried about is their own cost. And actually Dominic can, can probably vouch for this. He's come into our area and done some work. Uh, and I know that, you know, he, he came away happy. He still works with the gentleman that, that came in and did some work with him. Uh, there were some other circumstances I won't talk about that happened prior to me being involved with it, but, and he knew that there were some issues with the job. He came in and, and when he came away, he said, you know, I'm not, I'm no longer concerned about working in your area with the union. I have some concerns that happened on, on something else on the job that had nothing to do with him. I don't think he would work with that uh, general contractor ever again, but it had nothing to do with the labor force and the cost of the labor force. And uh, I, I think, you know, our industry needs to move more towards what the construction industry is like to where we can command a little bit more for our product, whatever the product may be, whether it's cathodic protection or whether it's water or whether it's a geothermal uh, installation, we can command a little more, but it's going to require us to act a little more like uh, like the corporations that that command that that extra money or that. I think I think you're absolutely right. Um... So getting to work with Midwest Geothermal, we went to Los Angeles and we worked with the local 12 there. And we we went in and we had to sign a master labor agreement. And all of our drillers from Grand Rapids got to go there. They all drilled. They became part of that union for that time. There was no big fight. There wasn't, you're going to give us your rigs and we're going to put drillers on them. There was no discussion like that. I I think we are really good at drilling and we're really poor at contracts and business. And um, we got some great people out there that are pushing and trying to get us to see that. But so what happens? We see a large general contractor on these sites that's overseeing a geothermal project that knows dick about drilling. And we see other large bonding companies that are the oversight that go, well, we're going to do all the in-situ testing and we're going to supply the loops and grout and you just drill the hole and their hands in the cookie jar. And I know plenty of good drilling companies that are capable of handling their aspect directly with the general contractor or the customer. And we don't need that other, we, we can have our engineering firm. We can have our QA, QC, we can do ball state, you know, 
Triton Geothermal ran their stuff with just a general contractor that was doing everything else for that. The same with the Northfield. And there was no issue. The years after that phase one was done, suddenly we had oversight or two oversights. And either we need to have a company that has low overhead that wants to be that inspection quality assurance and understands our aspect. We we have to redefine it because I feel like we got all the skin in the game and there's somebody just right above us that is making a really good profit off of our backbreaking labor and the wear and tear on our rigs. Well, uh, here's the thing. There's this is something that maybe we're not used to, but that con- that contractor it comes back to the same thing. That contractor that's doing the dirt work, that contractor that's doing uh, concrete work already has a QA QC person above them. So when we get involved in those large projects, we have to ex- understand there's probably going to be some QA QC. So if they are doing that, we have to maybe do some education of the QAQC or demand uh, that I are demanding our, in our industry that the, if they're going to ask in New York, say they've got QAQC on all these commercial jobs or, or in Chicago or whatever, of those testing companies, uh, and many of them are also drilling companies for, for geotechnical drilling, start working on, hey, they need to have at least a ICSPA driller's license, something that they understand what it is, right? A certification. So they understand what they're looking at. Uh, to Because you talk so about, I, you, oh, I got one other thing I want to talk about. You talk about rigs coming over from Europe. That's great. As long as all the correct procedures are followed i've seen some european installations from from a company that had gotten a bunch of uh a bunch of technology from europe but didn't really understand it the way that they needed to and because there was no qaqc they did a, a, a lot of damage to geothermal in general in our area because they did some jobs that weren't right. So I don't think QAQC is a bad thing. Uh, there's, n- it's just something we're not used to. No, it's I. Ha- we need quality assurance, quality control on every job. My issue is when you have a geothermal company who is the oversight who's not drilling, that is, you know, that one more piece in between the company who is installing everything, the geothermal driller versus the geothermal installation oversight. And I think we got one more hand in there. I think there's plenty of companies that could do that, could bid it directly. And what happens is, is we've gotten companies that have gotten really good at bonding and their aspect and uh, selling the deal and going, well, we can get as many drillers as we need. You don't, you don't need a drilling company. You need us to just manage your drilling companies. 
And um, that's what I get to. And yes, uh, f- right now to go to New York, you either have to have your NGWA's certified vertical loop installer, your IGSPA, you know, accredited piece, or you're not, you know, you're not going to just pop in and get get into the middle of that stuff. We have to have that training. We have to have the right training. Um, I just see as we see these thermal networks come online and that that's going to be lots and lots of loop fields that you could do what Triton Geothermal did um, hell 12 years ago, uh, 13 years ago where they brought three capable water well drilling companies together, hired a, you know, an oversight that would be the project manager, administrator, all all of that who had worked on large construction jobs and then executed and was able to have the face and the representation. We we're a good drilling company. It's time to step off the platform put that next individual that's ready to be a driller on there and business develop ourselves so that when we look at a million dollar piece of equipment, we go, yep, I can do that. Opposed to this stigma right now, we need to go back to $500,000 drill rigs is the only way we're going to be able to scale and do the geothermal we need. Well, I I have a problem with that current trend too, because um, the current trend of, Hey, the under 26,000, you don't need a CDL for this. I have a question for, for the companies that are considering that. Do you want a guy you don't trust to get a CDL to be running your drill site? <laughs> I, I, it doesn't make sense to me, right? That is like the lowest bar to step over to be able to get and maintain a commercial driver's license. Yet we're building rigs specifically because we don't think our people can do it. It doesn't make any it, – it, it's counterintuitive to me. I'm still going to put this person on a job that is maybe the make or break of my company after a few jobs that go poor because I got to have all that money out up front before I get paid, but I don't trust them to get and maintain a chauffeur's license. It, I, it's, it's mind-boggling to me. It's one of the things in my program, by the time you get out of your first year as a first-year apprentice, you must, and I tell guys I'd like to see them in the first 90 days, you must have a CDL Class A. My middle son is now uh, an apprentice for us, and he's in his first year. He has a CDL Class A. He's, uh, mind you, all these are without me scoring anything. This is, I won't score him. It's a conflict of interest. He's completed his auger drilling proficiency, his rotary drilling proficiency, his core drilling proficiency. He has not done pump chat. He's not ready for that. He's proficient on a skid steer. And he is, uh, he's got one more, what is it? I want to say basic rigging is done. So in his first year, he has those seven things done, and he hasn't spent near as much time as I think he should spend at the facility. Because if he's ever off on a Saturday or on a day, I tell him, hey, why aren't you at the the site? I want a day off here. But still, I haven't really pushed him hard, and he's got those things done. So it can be done to bring 
people in our industry and say, hey, I want to see. He's not 21 yet. They sent him to a company in Indiana because he had a CDL and he had to tell them, I can't drive in Indiana. They won't let me drive out of state yet. Right. Hey, Which, Dave. Yeah. Um, Dom Durbin is entering our conversation. Is he? Well, Dom can come on in because I brought him in. I is he? You know, we've you said his name once. I said his name a couple times. So he's like Beetlejuice, where that means he's going to show up. Come on in, Dom. But in any case, it doesn't mean we can't get good people. The 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 reason many of us don't is comes back to that that price point that what are we selling our product for what are we competing against is this are we offering the same pay rate to do the work that we do as the fast food restaurant across town if we are we got to relook at our at our uh, at our model because we can't win that even if you have somebody who'd rather be outside, and is a hard worker, it's going to be a struggle to win that when they can go for that construction company across town and get a job, especially I, with all this infrastructure money out there. Right. And so, um, and Dob just joined us. I think there there's new rules and that's what, you know, Dom posted in the Facebook group, the CDL rules much more difficult now, long school required. And I fully agree. And that's why we've seen these 26,000 pound rigs. And I, that comes to a totally different conversation we can get into in a minute, but uh, what? we, we have a, that, right. But we right. have a national association we have a international ground source heat loop association. We have some drilling associations <clears throat> that have clout and have, have this ability to influence. And the fact that we haven't come up with a specialty program, maybe we don't need the big over-the-road trucking school that is required for this CDL program. I do believe we need somebody advocating and lobbying for us to no different, maybe. And for farmers, you target a, a gross weight so that, you know, you could have a specialty one for heavy equipment movement versus I'm going to take a ton of grain over a ton, but you know what I mean? A big load of grain from Kalamazoo, Michigan to a, mill in Chicago and I'm traversing three state lines and I'm an 18 year old kid, you know, in this semi truck farm truck versus our drill rig and where we're trying to go. I think this is a piece where our association should be focusing on who can lobby to get us a specialty piece. And I want to let Dom pipe in before well, you go. Can I, no, I'm going to yeah. pipe in first because this is how I run. Uh, it comes back to why, I mean, in our, in our area, we, we are accredited. We do all the training for the CDL. They come in, if they're off on Saturdays and come in on Saturdays, you need 14 training dates at minimum and there's, and us to say you're ready. I understand it's a problem elsewhere. It's hard to do. Why aren't we partnering as an industry 
through national groundwater through with these truck driving schools and saying, okay, we need, we need a, a reasonable uh, schooling time that you give them a week here or a couple days here, a couple days there that what has happened and it's, it's runaway capitalism a little bit is that some of the people who come to be a, a, um, uh, apprentice under our program. Wow. Dominic's on fire. Uh, let's they, let, let's let Dom talk. Got, go ahead, Dom. Oh, I, is my mic on? Am I? It yeah, is. you're there. Yeah. You're live okay. caller with Brock and Dave on a Saturday morning. Nice. Uh, and I'm, and I've got three percent on my phone. So if I drop off, just know that that I'll argue with either one of you all day long. It wasn't because I was mad. <laughs> uh, yeah, we just we just checked into some CDL stuff, uh, CDL schools, because we're you know we're looking at sending guys through winter. And we've only checked into a couple local community colleges, but right now we're looking at uh, six and eight weeks, eight hours a day, and that, that's a that's a crazy amount of training um, for driving support vehicles and driving rigs. Um, I think, I think it should be able to be taught in less than half of that myself. Um, but I haven't really got into programs too deep to know, but I mean, yes, more training is needed for CDL drivers. I get it. No problem there. Um, lightweight rigs are needed. But they're not gonna they're not gonna do what you want to do in all geology. They're gonna have their place and they're gonna be great in their place. Um, but there needs to be, you know, definitely some middle ground, uh, a difference between the construction trades, you know, driving a crane, driving a drill rig, um, driving these specialty equipment vehicles as compared to over the road freight drivers. We we do need some type of division. Um, I agree. That that, that hey, kind of limits us. Uh, yeah. I have a question for you. This actually relates directly to you specifically. Um, is your agreement with our organization in good standing? Um, well, because, I haven't. Uh, here's what I'm asking. Here's why I'm asking. If it is, there's a possibility. Uh, if you're paying in, I I would make some phone calls and find out. Uh, if there would be a possibility of, of utilizing our, our program at the site, if you were to come back and start bidding some more stuff in the city. Okay. Uh, is Mokina yours? Yep. All right. I'll go ahead and do the police department there. Okay. So, uh, that might alleviate your deal where you could be able to send them a few days a week for a couple of weeks or, or something along those lines. But I would make a phone call uh, and see under your current deal, what your, what your, um, I don't, I don't think we have, are. I don't think we have anything right now because when, when I was up uh, like on the Broadway project, you know, where, where I first met Damon, uh, when I was up there, um, I was under DNR drilling, and uh, since since Dad's passed, I've pretty well scrapped DNR drilling. I mean, it still exists; it still files, but it doesn't do anything. Uh, and I'm doing everything under Durban Enterprises. I don't think we ever had um, 
anything other than one job agreements through Durban Enterprises. So I have to, I have to get with with um, with Willie probably and uh, and see what the you know what the current agreements are and and that type of thing and go from there. But I'm not opposed to it. Um, right now, I'm just figuring that if you make that phone call and you see what can be worked out, there might be an option there that's not that's more cost effective to do that but it's it's something that you know and, and this is one of the advantages of, of of a program like that we run that you know like it's still 14 training dates is the minimum and that's what i was getting more it's a little bit of runaway capitalism because some of those people that have come into our program are in those truck driving schools it's impossible for them to get in a reasonable period of time their their uh license so well like, so like they gotta me, go full time for me if i you know if i go with one of these local community college programs um uh, i'm you know i'm gonna have to pay a guy 40 hours i'm gonna have to send him to the school 40 hours i'm gonna have to pay for the school um so you know we're we're talking uh somewhere somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty twenty five thousand dollars for me to take somebody from a, a a regular driver's license to a class a cdl and the problem the the biggest fear i've got in that is i'm not opposed to putting money into training but the biggest fear i've got in that is these schools are like sponsored by major trucking companies big recruiters and the recruiters are telling these guys going to the schools, you know, as soon as you walk out is, hey, we, you know, we'll give you six figures a year and all you got to do is hold the steering wheel. And so me, it's like, OK, how do I make these guys sign some type of a contract? And if they do, how do I get a penny back if they just decide to take the recruiter up on his offer? I, I, maybe I get their last paycheck, but I'm not going to take them to court and get anything. You know what I mean? No, um, I understand. I understand. Where it's you're a, it's going. a big fear. There's it's a, it's a big fear, um, because yeah, a lot of that is is uh, is capitalist drill, driven, and I'm a big capitalist, uh, but you know, capitalism comes with responsibility, and I think um, I, th I think the way that they're sponsoring these schools and then sending recruiters is uh, a, a pretty shitty way of. of using government force to, for for self or corporate gain i think well well and it and this is what they've done is a few accidents that had happened they the the trucking lobbyists have have used that to invent this system that feeds them at at the person's cost they promise uh, an amount of money that is more than likely unrealistic uh, when you get out of that school, but like for something that we do here, that's why, you know, I, and I hate to keep saying back to what, what our program does, you know, everything's done in house and they're told by us, Hey, this is going to help you keep a job in the drilling industry. Right. Or if, if they're a, if they're a person that's in the, it's in the heavy and highway construction industry, this is going to help you maintain your job. And, and so, you know, that we're a little bit different in that, in that uh, aspect, being involved with, with uh, an organization such as the one that I, that I uh, work for. I think this is something that we need to bring up to our, our big drilling organizations um 
it's ironic because, you know, we're probably what less than a decade away from, you know, autonomous over the road trucking, you know, to prevent a lot of that danger and uh, fatigue and whatnot. And then we're going to have this surplus of like old Gen Xers, <laughs> CDL drivers that we're going to be trying to put on drill rigs. Um, but we do, we need, we need an alternative and water and farming should be able to really, we need to piggyback on our uh, farm bureau brethren that have lots of money and figure out how we, how we, how we, there used to be, uh, a license called special mobile equipment. Yep. And something along those lines that comes back uh, may help, but it doesn't help that support truck. Well, yeah, exactly. And you can you can get in in Illinois, at least um, you can get uh, it's actually a farm plate, but it's classified uh, with a few other agricultural vehicles as a special mobile vehicle. And and our neighboring states honor um, honor that plate. So. Uh, yeah, you can drive your drill rig across state lines with that plate. Check the state you're going to first, uh, but you can you can drive it across our neighbors, all of our neighbor states. Uh, not sure about Wisconsin. Never never checked there. Uh, I have, but all the all the rest of the neighbor states, you can drive your farm plate across. But your support vehicle, if you're crossing state lines, even if you go under the weight class and and just use like an F250 or a Ram 3500, you know whatever truck of choice you use and 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 overload it and wear it out so to say uh once once you cross that state line a certain distance your dot requirement whether you've got a dot number and a dot you know and a portion plate on it or not if you get pulled over you'll fall under those dot requirements so yeah support trucks support trucks could be an issue because a lot of times there there would be really difficult to separate from over the road over the road freight trucks uh, I mean, the only difference is you're hauling uh, materials that you sold as part of a construction job or you're hauling your own equipment. You're, you're not going to be hauling, you know, freight for hire. That would be, but it'd still be, it'd still be difficult to separate that aspect. Yeah, it's tough because when I was part of Yordi and Son Well Drilling, you know, the rig fell under that specialty equipment and then the pump hoist had retail material on it right that wasn't dedicated to one job and that that in the late 90s early 2000s got me at a way station one time you know where i one arrogant brock shouldn't have gotten on the highway (laughs) and i should have you know driven the other way but i could get home faster the on the highway and uh I love personally. I don't want to be dodging scales. I'd rather be. I, I'd rather be perfectly legit going across. Oh uh, no, the truck. The truck scaled fine. It was just when they, the driver was un, un properly licensed. Is that what happened? It came down to a different style requirements for something that has retail. Like, like they wanted to treat me like I was delivering supplies to a hardware store that's going to retail them like it, it came into this weird retail well like your like your wire if you carry extra rolls of wire on your pump truck 
that that could be considered commercial cargo. Yes, that's it's not there a you tool go, that's part of the truck. Yep. Or extra yeah, pumps. So, if you're carrying extra pumps around with you, that's you know that that is commercial cargo. And so that's what that's your. I've drank a lot of craft beer since that memory uh, twenty years ago, and uh, that's exactly what happened. Was it was commercial cargo, you know? And we we had a we had a just a funny story. I don't know if anybody else is watching, but a funny story. Years ago, we were doing a lot of work up in Quad Cities. And uh, a guy took the, uh, uh, we broke down, we borrowed the heating contractor's van, uh, spare van, to be our ride home. So we come home, now it's time to go back up to work next week. We got to be able to leave the van there. So we just loaded the van up on a truck and trailer, sent a guy up with it. The guy took the route that goes across the scales on I-74, gets pulled in, they ask him, about the van does he have a you know a bill of lading does he have his freight paperwork on the van that's on this trailer it's a spare van we don't own it but it doesn't have like a company's name or anything else on it it's just a child molester box white van right (laughs) and the guy our driver i kid you not the guy says well it's not a van it's a portable job site storage unit the scale master laughed and sent him down the road after he explained that we'd borrowed it for a ride home and we're taking it back. Now that could have been ugly, but that is a true story that did happen. In the views of Dominic Durbin of Durbin Enterprises and what white vans are used for is his views <laughs> and only his views and not the views I mean, of the Cast Wi-Fi on the side. All right. Well, um, no, but I think this is an important discussion that the, our industry, the I think construction industry in general, is got to figure out what we're going to do to address this, right? Because it's, I guess I didn't I didn't realize it was as big of a problem for for people outside because of the the way we've approached it. But, you know, on the outside from where we're at, it it is a big problem. Twenty five thousand dollars per person before you've ever put them in the in the seat with no guarantee they're going to stay there. One, that's a lot of that. That's a that's a lot to ask. Two, you know, that it's difficult to find uh, that that person that that ha- that wants to drill bad enough that they're not going to be wooed by, uh, hey, we're, we'll start you at more money than what you could. But it comes back down to the same thing, right? We have to figure out how to make this appear from the get go as a career and not a job. So that's what they're that's what they're doing with the trucking. They're they're marketing it as a career. Look, you're all spending right. all this time uh, to do this to advance your career. So we need to figure out how we do a similar uh, thing. Well, I, I have I have one way I'd like you to do it, but I don't think everybody will do it my way. Well, my my take is that my way 
is is probably the most stressful um, as as an owner, as as the guy that's on the hook when people call and want a million holes drilled. Uh, my way is probably the worst way, and and that's hiring who I can hire. And I'm a, from a low hiring base. I don't have a big population base around me, but it's hiring who I can hire, training them and developing them, you know, mostly in-house and then you know, webinars and, and stuff like that. Uh, and then watching them develop a skill set on equipment or on other things and then finding a greener grass in another pasture and, and they jump ship and go. Uh, or they just don't want to do that physically hard work and go. Um, so I've, your program is is great in the, the retirement, the longevity, uh, the ability to stay, you know, basically the same wage, the same package and jump company to company. So if you don't like your boss, you can stay with your same job and go to a different company. Um, uh, and apprentices my, can't do that, by the way, Dom. Apprentices my, um, can never quit a job. That's cool. Uh, my other other idea that I, I really haven't done much with since we talked uh, at, at a little bit about Nashville the last time we were together at Nashville, we talked a little bit, um, was the uh, owner-operator type model. Uh, kind of following the trucking industry's model, like Prime Trucking is famous for it. You know, they would they would put guys as owner-operators in trucks and um, and and they would ultimately get a bigger piece of the pie and have an ownership stake. Uh, so that they would stay with it and stay at it longer. Um, I mean, Rob Lowe, the guy that owns Prime Trucking, his model was based on when the when the the, the driver to buy the truck, run the truck under you know under his flag, hauling his freight. The driver would have the truck paid for about the time the truck was wore out, and then they would incentivize the driver for an, another another truck, another go around. Um, and that that kept drivers in seats, and it, and he's got ten thousand trucks on the road, so you know it works. Um, but you know, at the time I, we did his house many years ago, and at the time I was talking to him about it, uh, a brand new brand new semi truck was you know a hundred to one hundred and forty thousand, uh, depending on how fancy you wanted. Now they're quite a bit higher, but even drill rigs for anything decent, you're talking seven fifty plus. Uh, and I'm not talking about your little bitty, you know, truck mounted rigs. I'm I'm just talking about drill a water well, drill a geo well, drill wherever you want to go drill, that kind of rig. Uh, you know, you're 750,000 plus. So to put owner operators in that, you know, you'd, you'd be talking about, you know, a, a minimum of eight to 10 years probably payment. And, and the machines will last that long, but you'd be talking about, you know, an eight to 10 year contract for somebody. I don't see somebody wanting <laughs> to jump into that until they've done it for a year or two. So it's it's unique. Unlike water well, geothermal, we have an opportunity that if we want to use smaller rigs, the design aspect has to change. The expectation of production has to change. And we can do it. Um, we could sacrifice having, you know, the biggest issue with um smaller rigs is just not having the sheer structure and weight over the rear tires for that pull down and pull back and i think it's something that a lot of people don't think about and you said it dom with the with the geology aspect and dave and i have talked about it a bunch but 
a 26,000 pound rig, one, we're going to have a support vehicle that's bringing tooling if we're going deep. And it seems like geothermal holes just keep wanting to go deeper. But two, with that depth, we need the ability to have 40,000 pounds of pullback. I think we're really at that that limitation. So finding a rig that can do that, that you're not going to lift off the ground on a pull down or something, but we can get more rotation. You know, it'd be great for us all to have over 330 RPMs of rotation. You know, if we look at what we have for geotechnical rigs and sonic rigs and every other piece of equipment outside of water well rigs where the manufacturers went, listen, it's going to cost too much for me to give you that top head that can do, you know, 6,000 foot pounds of torque and, you know, 600 RPMs. But that's, that's the case. If I have more rotation, I understand my tooling and my bit better. I understand my geology. I understand that I may have to trip. Um, that's what it's going to take, but that will sacrifice production. And then when you see somebody about to present at Ixba that's saying, listen, we've figured out the rig and this rig allows us to do a full day's worth of work at half the price and all the production and all the rest of you drillers out there that have been doing this for many businesses or a century or three quarters of a century old, I get a little offended. I get a little bit like, okay, cool. What it sounds like you're doing is you're subsidizing your drilling because you're a massive conglomerate and you can get all these con contracts with utilities and other things and you're just going to fake it in. And uh, let's, let's face it, at the end of the day, when we look at venture capitalists in Silicon Valley, it's never been who's got the best idea. It's whoever's got the best PR and done a TED Talk. Well, the where's this model that they're that they're they're claiming because you know is it the same we all know that geology dictates what you can do it doesn't matter oh we can run this fast where and what geology are you grouting or are you not grouting are you grouting properly the way that our regulations require because i know uh the company that dom and i, I think we're both uh dealt with here and there they, they had a Swedish rig that, uh, you know, they didn't grout uh, in the, the system that they used. There, were, there was no grout. They left, they left casing in and uh, went flooded hole. Uh, so they had water in there. That was the system that they used. Well, you can't bring that system over here and expect that you can do things the way that we need them done and still have things work out. It just doesn't work that way. Um, you know, our regulations are built on, on a certain expectation for uh, what groundwater protection and those kind of things and where they're working. Do they have the same, the same uh, regulations they're dealing with? So it's very easy to say, Hey, I can do it twice as fast. Well, sure. Uh, if bedrock is at zero and it's all limestone and it's all competent and I can use an air hammer to do it, I can get it done quick. Anybody could. I could put a geo rig on it, on it and drill a thousand feet a day uh, 
with nothing but limestone the entire time and an air hammer. It's no big deal. It's easy to do. But that's not making sure that we're surgical and we're clean, making sure that uh, we're getting our grout done properly and our grout uh, from the bottom of the loop up. What, what seems like basic things, but when you look at some of the installations and some of the practice that different people around our industry have used, you know it's not right. And if it's not right, I don't care how fast you can do it. Well, it's, it's wild because commercial geothermal versus residential. Yep, we're going to go in. We can do it this way. We're going to grout this way. It's almost like a residential water well. In the Great Lakes states, a adequate driller can get the production water they need to supply a home. A geothermal system that gets plugged in for a residential home, once it starts performing, it's way better than hauling in propane or it's way better than anything else they had. Maybe it's not 100% efficient. Now you look at Ball State. And you look at all the different ways those holes got changed and all the different drilling companies and all the different ways things got manifolded and grouted and all of those aspects. And then you start asking efficiency questions and nobody can answer a true question if they've gotten the entire return. And then that's the black eye because on a commercial job. Everything's got to be done right because we do have that QAQC. We do have that engineering and we do have the labs of the world who are standing up in front of different conferences showing the efficiencies or the deficiencies. And then they come back and they go, that tribal self-taught guys that say they uh, they can't drill this with a, a, a rig that a non-CDL driver can drive. Uh, they can't advocate for themselves. They're just, they're just shade tree mechanics that now have $3 million worth of equipment. Yeah, that... Again, like you said, it's all about it's all about PR, right? But the best PR is that hey, we brought a project in and it was on time and it was under budget or at budget, right? And it works properly. I don't need PR beyond that. Especially if I'm that I'm that small guy that has three million dollars worth of equipment, which sounds like a big big dollar amount until you talk drilling and then we have one maybe two drill rigs if we have three million dollars in equipment well uh, the the state of the water well 2022 report that came out by water system council said the majority of the drilling companies that participated in it do about two million dollars a year and have 2.2 drill rigs and 10 employees and i read that and i went so the gentlemen or ladies who own companies that have 10 employees and are doing the revenue had time to take a survey and the rest of the industry didn't say anything. Had no, had nothing to say. Like I got no time for that. Right. And, and, and you have, you have companies that, that ebb and flow, right? There, you may have four or five drill rigs, but you might only have 10 employees right now. And you got some rigs that are sitting. Uh, but most of those companies, those rigs are paid for. So, you know, are they are they counting that in the numbers too? 
because there's an awful lot of companies out there that have, you know, have two drill rigs and uh, a, a both third are one with 19, the tree. Both are, yeah, both are, you know, 1974 or 75 or 1980 models. And, you know, they just do what they can to keep them running. Or there's a tree grown up through the middle of one. That's well, that one doesn't two. count typically. Well, you know, we, we talk a lot about our industry, um, you know, kind of being a dying breed that there's a lot of uh, two, three generation drilling companies. And then the, the most current generation is, is not going to take over. So, you know, the, the current runners uh, principals in that company are not buying new equipment because they're pretty well like, well, when the rig's done, we're done. Um, two guys that, that are, you know, that run the, the bucket rig and the rotary rig for Cohen Concrete, which does the far majority of uh, bored wells in southern Illinois and, and quite a few slim hole wells. Um, they're done. They're out. They called me a few weeks ago and they, uh, they're wanting $540,000 for their couple rigs, which they're mid-80s, mid-80s models at the newest um and some older support equipment they want 540,000 for the business but the two guys running the rigs are retiring is why is why they're going to sell you know it's why they want out so unless a really good entrepreneur wants to be an owner operator comes along and buys that i i would bet you a steak dinner and a craft beer that this time next year if they if they are really going to hang it up because they've said they were going to hang it up before but if they're really going to hang it up you're going to see that equipment going to an auction you won't see the business sell like you would a hardware store's owner retiring you just with I, I told them i'd buy it in a heartbeat if it came with the drillers because i'm that far behind on on jobs right now uh, if it came with guys to run it if it came with drillers and crews i'd buy you out today um, but it doesn't so i i think when you look at those those models are those like two rigs, 10 employee businesses. Number one on those numbers, the owners of those companies are working for wages. Um, they're working for wages and they're probably paying them less than the guy that manages or the gal that manages their, their favorite steakhouse. In all honesty, they probably are. Um, and then the next thing is when those are out, who or how is it going to be taken over? I mean, that to me, that's huge is who's going to be next. Um, and it really, I think all we talk about, the, the biggest thing that we need to focus on as an industry and whole is, is getting the labor in, getting the owners in, getting, uh, getting, getting more drill rigs drilling. I mean, uh, that's the biggest thing in the world, more drill rigs drilling. I mean, how many businesses do you know that if you call them up and they say, I'm too overbooked to get to you, I'm not sure who to tell you to call. Maybe call this guy, maybe call that guy. And how many businesses do you know that are like that? It's great. I mean, it's it's an opportunity. You want to raise your price a dollar a foot? Go ahead. You're going to get it. But we still got to go get the jobs done. Um so that's that's my thing is is we really need to we really need a big huge focus on getting people in. Well, it comes back to what that trucking industry is doing, right? Trying to make to to market this as a career. I've got uh, to bring 
kind of what you you were talking about. Uh, we had a, a gentleman pass away, uh, and uh, them need somebody desperately to run a bucket rig for Griffith dewatering. And I have a first year apprentice running their bucket rig that we went out. I mentored him for a for a couple weeks on on. Uh, a, uh, I didn't actually. Derek Good wound up doing the mentoring, but uh, Derek went out, mentored him for a couple weeks on on you know how to run a bucket rig and the and the, and you know the the kids out there running running the equipment. Now he's learning the pump stuff with the, that they're doing, and he's doing what? He's not a kid. He's he's a probably thirty year old man, but he's first year apprentice for us. Had been a firefighter, had which is why we chose him because he had a little life experience. We thought that it would be a good fit to put someone like that. I didn't want to put someone uh, with that rig. I didn't want to put a kid with that who didn't have enough life experience yet. But you know, we have to look at ways because you're right, Dom. The work's not going away uh, at all. The work no, the is going to be there. We just have to be able to meet it somehow. And they need a CDL. And they need a CDL, which he had, right? But it's it's the same thing. There our our equipment, our historic equipment, still for the most part will do the jobs they're being asked to do if they're well maintained. Right? They'll still do yeah, the jobs. I think I think too. I think a lot of these guys, if they saw, if they saw a stronger future of their business, because let's face it, water well drillers and, and geothermal drillers, we have egos. So as we get a no. little bit older in life, our toys mean less and our legacy means more. And so, yeah, it's extremely important to see the legacy of your business or your name continue. But you know, I'm a I'm a prime example. Um, I lost my dad a few years ago and it was, you know, it was his money and my drive that built our business to what it is. And, and we're, we're still good and we're still successful without dad, but the next generation I don't have, you know, my, my son's a solar engineer and he's making, you know, he's, he's just finished, finished college and he's, um, and he's making a real good living as a, a engineering and selling solar systems. He doesn't want the he doesn't want the stress, the hassle, the headache that I go through. Um, and, and he knows what the books look like. Raw, you know what I mean. So I, I don't have any secrets from him like I like I would for the federal agents that like to listen in. They just hired eighty seven thousand more of. Um, he he knows the reality of the books. Doesn't mean that much to him. He doesn't want that life. He doesn't want to live it, breathe it, own it, do it. Um, you know, he, he wants to check out and clock out. Uh, but um, what I was getting at is that older equipment. I think a lot of those guys, if they saw the next generation, if they saw the neighbor farm kid stepping up and wanting to do it, wanting to buy it, uh, if they saw their daughter wanting to continue it and buy it and run it, um, they'd pull the trigger on new equipment. I really think they would. Um, and I think a lot of the, the mentality that the guys aren't going Oh, I think Dom finally went away. In the middle, in the middle of a sentence, 
you know, uh, he went away. So, but I think Dom is right though, but it all comes back to the same piece we keep talking about. We need to, to do a better job of showing this be a career. And part of that is making sure that, that we're, we're getting, uh, what our, our resources worth. And we are, uh, you know, we, we've got to do a better job with marketing, showing, showing these new hires that this is what we expect of you. This is how we're going to help. I, I think our industry, everything we've talked about today, our industry needs, desperately needs to get is, they can't get in front of it, so they better get beside it or or something with this CDL thing. Uh, I didn't, I hadn't made the two, you know, the the two plus two equals four on what it's like outside of our area, right? Because our now, mind you, it's open to to uh, you know uh, be involved with us, but you know that comes with uh, that comes with some other things. So. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think we had a good a good discussion today. I don't know if we can wait six months for another one. You call my people and we'll get it scheduled. All right. Your people only want to talk about Bob the Builder. Hey, uh, I think it's great that when you call and you're on speakerphone, my son goes, hey, Dave's on the phone. So that's pretty cool. Um, no, we can... <clears throat> We can absolutely get another one of these in. Um, I am taking off to New York next week, next weekend to uh, discuss geothermal with some folks um, because I, I think we need to get some credible outside of what's happening in in that area's, uh, you know, discussions going is, is how I'm going to put it. You know, um, I don't have all the answers, but I know drilling in one state, you, uh, you get blinders on. And when you get to drill in lots of states and continents, you get a better, better idea of the way we need to drill it or the best tool is the most readily available tool even if you got to cut the box elder tree out of the middle of it and then pull it out with a a tractor you know uh tom howe earlier today he wrote all i need to be successful is a plan and not enough time (laughs) so i think that's great um the first 10 days in october i will be in amsterdam and Arden, I'm uh, heading over to the the Eigel Camp um, exposition, and then I am gonna take a flight over to Scandinavia and check out these European drilling techniques. So it's not like I'm throwing some stuff out there and saying, "Nah, you need to do it the way we've been doing it." It's not at all. No, I understand never, that, but. I, I want to be fully briefed. It's kind of like going to the Vermeer facility and drilling in that beautiful black dirt mm-hmm. and then going down and drilling in Oklahoma at the Ditch Witch facility and that terrible red marbly 
play and rock you get into heading over to augers in ohio and looking at how they got a drill and the the limestone and the the overburden they have um rig manufacturers are successful building rigs again in areas that are successful for them and that's that's why you know versatrill has done so well with mud rotary and the great lakes states is they were building a rig that was specific to the water tables and the conditions that are happening. No different than as we go west and we see big air rigs and that type of stuff. So I am very curious to see how uh, the Vikings and their rigs stack up to uh, our uh, Wild West cowboy rigs. Well, I, th- I think you're going to find some interesting things. I would keep an eye for, for, you know, just those things. Okay. How does this relate to what we're going to ask them to do? Cause that's a real, that's, you know, everything's geology, everything's process. So I, I myself will be in Houston next week, uh, teaching a drone technology class and then, uh, back. And then I have all kinds of, of, uh, stuff that is going to keep me local here until November where I go back. And then, then, you know, uh, beginning of December, national groundwater's on us. So we're really in crunch time, but I think we can probably come up with a weekend within probably, you know, uh, within the next month, month and a half that we could, that we could do one of these. That's as, as committal as I intend to get here. You don't, you um, don't like being bi-yearly. Uh, you know what? Uh, it's okay. It frees up some of my time, but, uh, it doesn't really help the, the branding of, uh, Brock and Dave driller cast. Uh, and for people, I would have told you this couldn't happen, but people actually want to hear it. And we know that only because we saw, uh, how many people were downloading. So there are people who want to hear us. We talk. Thank you. We thank every one of you for that. All six of you. Yes. No, no there's a, there's about 150 that no, uh, I know, really, I know. we're, uh, we're up there in the downloads. We've, uh, we are very searchable to the point of, I've thrown some of the newscast replays on there to see, uh, those folks in other countries and stuff that maybe aren't getting the driller newscast um, around there. So let's wrap this. It's been a great discussion. It was cool uh, having um, an industry friend and, uh, you know, somebody that's uh, grinding it out and doing geothermal and uh, whatnot. Uh, So thank Dom Durbin, Durbin Enterprises for coming on and uh, all of everybody that's participated. Thank you. And we will we will get another one of these out in the next, let's say, two to three weeks. All right. Well, we'll give it a shot. So uh, with that, thank you, everybody, for uh, for listening and uh, be safe. Keep turning to the right. Yeah, thank you, everybody. This has been Brock and Dave's Drillercast. Thank you for listening or watching this episode of Driller's Cast. If you would like more content, you can always go to drillerstribe.com, D-R-I-L-L-E-R-S, 
tribe, T-R-I-B-E dot com, or find us on social media at Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Drillers Tribe, Drillers Cast, Global Drill Trainer. Uh, You can definitely get into discussions with us and other industry experts, trolls, and um, mud men at any time. The intro to Drillers Cast is provided by Dave Bauer's son's band, Far Under. The intro to Mud Men and other music that you hear on here is licensed through Artlist Music Licensing. And finally, for the Lego Mumbo Jumbo, The View, and opinions expressed here on Drillers Cast and Drillers Tribe are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of our employers, companies we work with, or companies that we volunteer to work with. Any content provided by our hosts, guests, bloggers, or authors are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. We have the best intentions here, and it's uh, just like drilling. Things are unexpected, and none of this is scripted. Thanks for listening to Drillers Cast. We really appreciate you. Please like, subscribe, share, and we'll continue doing this for as long as it continues to be fun. Thanks. Thank you for listening or watching this episode of Drillers Cast. If you would like more content, you can always go to drillerstribe.com, D-R-I-L-L-E-R-S, tribe, T-R-I-B-E.com, or find us on social media at Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Drillers Tribe, Drillers Cast, Global Drill Trainer. Uh, You can definitely get into discussions with us and other industry experts, trolls, and um, mud men at any time. The intro to Drillers Cast is provided by Dave Bauer's son's band, Far Under. The intro to Mud Men and other music that you hear on here is licensed through Artlist Music Licensing. And finally, for the Lego Mumbo Jumbo, The View and opinions expressed here on Drillers Cast and Drillers Tribe are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of our employers, companies we work with, or companies that we volunteer to work with. Any content provided by our hosts, guests, bloggers, or authors are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. We have the best intentions here, and it's uh, just like drilling. Things are unexpected, and none of this is scripted. Thanks for listening to Drillers Cast. We really appreciate you. Please like, subscribe, share, and we'll continue doing this for as long as it continues to be fun. Thanks.